Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings. We're continuing our perusal of reading recommendations that were sent to me over these past, oh, I don't know, it's been a few months. <laughs> and uh, just taking sips, as we do with any cupping, to taste the flavors and see if this these first chapters strike our fancy as picky readers and working writers. Uh, today's uh, selection comes from indie author S.J. Higby, who is awesome. I mean, she rec recommended it. Uh, it's called The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. And the, the cover art is intriguing. And I'm her review, her review, which I will make sure I post uh, in the episode description, uh, was really positive about it. And I was curious because there's something about, again, that outsider being brought into a fantasy world and also the politics. Because I, uh, when I was younger, and, and still true, but when I first encountered it in college, um, the... Uh, mini-series I, Claudius by Robert Graves, uh, which is, I mean, all political intrigue with the Roman family, you know, of uh, Caesar Augustus's family. Absolutely fascinating and beautifully acted, too, if you can ever find that old masterpiece theater series. Absolutely wonderful. I even read the books, too. Uh, there's something about the many layers required to be able to pull off um, political moves without looking like they're political moves. And then to also have those layers where to ensure that others and or the public do not know what you're doing. It's just, there's something about the intrigue of the multi-layered movement, very much a chess game as it were. So understanding that the Goblin Emperor was dealing with that kind of thing from my understanding, before opening this up, I was like, ooh, all right, let's get goblins involved. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's open this up and take a sip and see if we are finding a lot of intrigue here, or maybe it's not quite there yet, or maybe it's something completely different. And now for something completely different. And yes, I grew up on Monty Python. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I probably started showing some of it to my kids a little earlier than I should have. And no, I didn't show them everything. But we did show them, you know, how, how to spot a tree from quite a long ways away. So they, they needed to know these things. I mean, how else are you going to know what a larch is? Okay, that was too big of a tangent. Let's get into the Goblin Emperor, shall we? Part one... The Crash of the Wisdom of Choharo. All right. I got to admit, I don't really picture wisdom crashing, so that's an interesting juxtaposition there. All right, let's see what happens here. Chapter 1, News Comes to Adonami. Adonami. Adonami? Here's the danger with words. <laughs> here's, here's the weird thing about words. No, but... What there's something hmm, 
it could just be I'm tired and we've just gotten out of a tornado warning and yes we're all fine it's just, this has been the strangest month of Wisconsin never really has intense weather you know it just gets very cold it can get very hot but we don't have much as far as the disaster weather I, I i guess i could put it that way like we we usually will have some flooding every summer but as far as tornadoes or um blizzards we do not often get that intense so it's been very weird to have like four or five tornado warnings where we have to seek shelter in the past month so my, my brain i guess is just a little addled but another little tangent here because i apparently can't stop with my tangents Adonami, i mean when it comes to fantasy fiction, and we'll expect they're going, there are going to be words we don't quite know how to pronounce, or what they mean. You know, um, I just got a little thrown because here, like one of the absolute very first things I'm reading, I don't know if I'm reading it right. That's a little bit of a put off because it's like I don't want to be made to feel silly not knowing what I'm reading. So that's eh, I'm not a fan of that, but story itself i'm going to start reading now and we can see if that is more awesome maya woke with his cousin's cold fingers digging into his shoulder cousin what he sat up rubbing at his eyes with one hand what time is it get up satheris snarled hurry obediently maya crawled out of bed clumsy and sleep sodden What's toward? Is there a fire? Get thy clothes on. Satheris shoved yesterday's clothes at him. Maya dropped them, fumbling with the strings of his nightshirt, and Satheris hissed with exasperation as he bent to pick them up. A messenger from the court. That's what's toward. A message from my father? Is't not what I said? Merciful goddess's boy, canst do nothing for thyself? Here! He jerked the nightshirt off, caring neither for the knotted strings nor for Maya's ears, and shoved his clothes at him again. Maya struggled into drawers, trousers, shirt, and jacket, aware that they were wrinkled and sweat-stained, but unwilling to try Satheris's ill temper by saying so. Satheris watched grimly by the single candle's light, his ears flat against his head. Maya could not find his stockings, nor would Satheris give him time to search. Come along! He said as soon as Maya had his jacket fastened, and Maya followed him barefoot out of the room, noticing in the stronger light that while Satheris was still properly and fully attired, his face was flushed, so he had not been wakened from sleep by the Emperor's messenger, but only because he had not yet been to bed. Maya hoped uneasily that Satheris had not drunk enough methaglin to mar the glossy perfection of his formal court manners. Okay, so definitely something's going on. We are this first page and we are already in immediate tension and it's sounding like trouble. We also have a family of support. It sounds like the cousin is a positive person to our protagonist and I mean, exasperated he may be, but he does seem to be considered a support by our protagonist. So, okay. 
language tells us something about our time frame here. We are dealing with a time, and granted, yes, again, this is a fantasy story, I know, but we are definitely not in a current style of speech. We are definitely with a older, with an older, sorry, style of speech. So that can kind of help us imagine filling in the gaps of, of what we're not seeing in the moment as far as, you know, what could these clothes look like or what could this building look like where they are residing. So that is a help. Um, so as a writer, you know, we can take little details like word style, um, language styles and see how that can help give some impressions to our readers so they can help pick, so they can picture things that we just don't have time to describe in the moment. Back to the story. Maya ran his hands through his hair, fingers catching on knots in his heavy curls. It would not be the first time one of his father's messengers had witnessed him and as unkempt as a half-witted rag-picker's child, but that did not help with the miserable midnight imaginings. So tell us, how looked our son? He reminded himself it was unlikely his father ever asked after him in the first place, and tried to keep his chin and ears up as he followed Cytheris into the lodge's small and shabby receiving room. The messenger was maybe a year or so older than Maya himself, but elegant even in his road-stained leathers. He was clearly full-blooded elvish, as Maya was not. His hair was milkweed pale and his eyes the color of rain. He looked from Satheris to Maya and said, Are you the Archduke Maya Drazar, only child of the Fourth, and Chinello Drezaran? Yes, Maya bewildered. Maya said, bewildered. I must not be reading this at the right time. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot pronounce names. <sighs> and then bewilderment compounded bewilderment as the messenger deliberately and with perfect dignity prostrated himself on the threadbare rug. Your imperial serenity, he said. Oh, get up, man, and stop babbling, Satheris said. We understood that you had messages from the Archduke's father. Then you understand what we do not, the messenger said, rising again to his feet as graceful as a cat. We bear messages from the Unthilenis court. <sighs> I know this is a fantasy realm. I, I, I just... Oh, the names. Maya said hastily, merely to prevent the altercation from the escalating. Please explain. Your serenity, the messenger said. The airship Wisdom of Chaharo crashed yesterday, sometime between sunrise and noon. The Emperor the Fourth, the Prince of Namalas, the Archduke of Nazira, and the Archduke Cirrus were all on board. They were returning from the wedding of the Prince of Thuathamar. And the wisdom of Chaharo crashed, Maya said slowly, carefully. Yes, Serenity, said the messenger. There were no survivors. For five pounding heartbeats, the words made no sense. Nothing made sense. Nothing had made sense since he had woken with Satheris's grip hurting his shoulder. And then it was suddenly pitilessly clear, as if from a long distance away he heard his own voice saying, 
What caused the crash? Does it matter? Sotheris said. Serenity, said the messenger with a deliberate nod in Maya's direction. They do not yet know, but the Lord Chancellor has sent witnesses and it is being investigated. Thank you, said Maya. He knew neither what he felt nor what he ought to feel, but he knew what he ought to do. The next necessary thing. You said there are messengers? Yes, Serenity. The messenger turned and picked up his dispatch case from where it lay on the side table. There was only one letter within, which the messenger held out. Sotheris snatched the letter and broke the seal savagely, as if he still believed the messenger to be lying. He scanned the paper, his customary frown deepening into a black scowl, then flung it at Maya and stalked it from the room. Maya grabbed at it ineffectually as it fluttered to the floor. The messenger knelt to retrieve it before Maya could and handed it to him without a flicker of expression. Maya felt his face heating, his ears lowering, but he knew better than to try to explain or apologize for Sotheris. He bent his attention to the letter. It was from his father's Lord Chancellor, Ularis Chavar. To the Archduke Maya Drazar, heir to the imperial throne of Uthuvaraz, Greetings in this hour of greatest grief. Knowing that your imperial serenity will want all honor and respect paid to your late father and brothers, we have boarded arrange ordered arrangements, put in train for a full ceremonial funeral in three days' time, that is, on the 23rd instant. We will notify the five principalities, also your imperial serenity sister in Eshedro. We have already ordered the courier office to put airships at their disposal, and we have no doubt that they all will use they will use all necessary haste to reach the Unthelinis Unthelinis court in good time for the funeral. We do not, of course, know what your Imperial Serenity's plans may be, but we hold ourselves ready to implement them. With true sorrow and unswerving loyalty, Ularis Shavar. Maya looked up. The messenger was watching him, as impassive as ever. Only the angle of his ears betrayed his interest. I, we, must speak with our cousin, he said, the constructions of the formal first person awkward and unaccustomed. Do you, that, that is, you must be tired. Let us sum, summon a manservant to tend to your needs. Your serenity is very kind, the messenger said, and if he knew that there were only two manservants in the entire household of Adonami, he gave no sign. Maya rang the bell, knowing that bird-like Pelchara would be waiting eagerly for a chance to find out what was happening. Haru, who did all the outside work, was probably still asleep. Haru slept like the dead, and the whole household knew it. Um, I'll stop here. And yeah, I, I I have to admit, I mean, there's there's definitely oh here, let me just one more thing here, one more bit with the page here. Um, The cousin is trying to get Maya to understand what has just happened. 
Merciful goddesses, grant me patience, Sathura said ostentatiously to the ceiling. Consider, boy, thou art emperor. What must thou do first? Cousin, this is not the time for riddles. And it is not a riddle I pose thee. Sathera shut his mouth and glared at him, and after a moment Maya realized. The coronation. Ha! Sotheris brought his hands together sharply, making Maya jump. Exactly! So why, I ask thee, does thy coronation not figure largely in Ularis's plans, or indeed at all? The funeral? No! Think thou thinkst as a child, not as an emperor. The dead are dead, and they care not for the honor. Ularis prates of, as well he knows. It is the living power that must concern thee, as it concerns him. But think, boy, Sotheris said, leaning forward, his cold eyes alight with fervor. If thou art capable, if thou hast ever thought before in thy life, think. Thou comest to the Unthalini's court. The funeral is held. What then? I speak to... Oh. Thou seest. Okay, so basically what we have here so we do have the start of some political intrigue, which is always a fun time, especially when there's families and little allegiances and whatnot. Court life. And if you hear pounding, I apologize. My kids are supposed to be getting ready for bed. And I don't think they are. So, go I don't want to say goofy names. Names I have a hard time pronouncing while reading out loud. All those aside. We do have a very clear sense of the fact that this boy, Maya, or Maya, however I was saying his name, Maya is not treated as an equal. I mean, we are told here that all of his brothers were with his father on this airship that crashed. He, Maya wasn't involved with this trip to a wedding. Which makes you wonder why. Why wasn't Maya a part of this family trip? Because he must not be seen as family. After all, we heard on the second page, um, Maya was reminded himself it was unlikely his father ever asked after him. Which, again, makes us kind of wonder why. Why wouldn't maya be treated as an equal he's in what we've been told is a very shabby place where his cousin lives with him and they got two servants and that's it and yet he is an emperor's son which if we work with historical um precedents as it were uh he must not be a legitimate son and yet the fact that this illegitimate son is going to be emperor could be throwing a lot of wrenches in various cogs in the political machine of this story's empire because there is apparently a sister and if there's a sister that means there is unless we find out otherwise another potential heir so there could be conflict in the works there. And the fact of the matter is, what led to the crash? That's another big question that's not being answered, which makes one wonder why. And yes, I know we only were looking at the first chapter, but still the fact that our characters are not getting many answers, really any answers to the questions being posed of the situation promises that 
there's going to be a lot of trouble ahead for our young protagonist, who doesn't sound like, and understandably, wasn't expecting to be seeing any sort of royal life at all. I mean, he's basically just been kept away to be forgotten. So why is he being pulled out? I'm intrigued. I wish I could pronounce the names better. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I got fantasy things better. Uh, but I am intrigued. And I mean, so long as you are comfortable diving into political that's the thing if if political court uh, slash court intrigue is is your cup of coffee is your cup then go for it if you are not a fan of the political intrigue kind of angle or the court intrigue kind of angle you may not have a lot of patience for this and again that's okay. That all depends on what flavors you enjoy. But if you enjoy a bit of fantasy, a bit of intrigue in a court setting, I bet you'd enjoy Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. And we'll see what other recommendations have been passed my way in the weeks to come. So until next time, my fellow creatives, Read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers. <laughs>